0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Fresh Frozen Southerner podcast. My name is Jay. I hope everyone is having a good work week. I'm coming to you a little bit off schedule this week. I apologize. I have been ministering to a sick child. My son made it through one entire day of school before he got sick and had to miss a couple of days. Uh, He does not have COVID. Of course, that's the first thing they tested him for, even though his symptoms were a very sore throat and a fever, which I feel like most people would automatically assume was strep throat, but they tested him for COVID anyway. That came back negative. Uh, But he did come down with strep throat somehow. When I picked him up from school on Tuesday, he very obviously looked like he did not feel good. And he said his throat had been very sore for the last two days. So we took him to the doctor on Wednesday. He does have strep throat. He's on antibiotics and on the mend. But I hope everyone had a good holiday weekend. I hope everyone sent this summer out with a bang the way it deserves. Judging by the fact that everywhere we went this summer and everything we tried to do was absolutely just a mass of humanity, I'm sure a lot of you did get out and do something good for the Labor Day weekend. Unfortunately, we have my, uh, it's a co-worker of my wife and a friend of ours. Uh, She lost her mother the Monday before Labor Day weekend. And as it happened, the only thing that me and my wife actually left the house to do was to go to her wake. Uh, Her mother had been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer about a year ago, and unfortunately she passed away the Monday before Labor Day. So, thoughts and prayers for the Cormas family. For the rest of you, it would be hard to beat that in the bomber department, but I hope you had a good holiday and sent the summer off with a bang. And summer is leaving, particularly up here. We've already had a couple of nights where it's gotten into the low 50s. It's really strange in August to be leaving the house and taking a jacket with you, and not just taking it, actually needing it later on. But such is life in the great frozen north where I live. But with the passing of summer does come good news, because this was the final work week of this entire year that we were without NFL football. Now, I know college football did start last weekend. I have never gotten into college football. It's really strange that I like NFL and couldn't give less of a crap about college football. Most people, it's the exact opposite. Most people absolutely love college football, and they like the NFL, they'll watch it, but they live and die by college football, and I have just never been able to get into it There's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, Number one, there's so many conferences, if I'm watching a game, I don't know what games matter, what games don't, what the rivalries are. Now, that could be remedied with a little bit of research on my part. But one of the other things that I don't like about college football, and I don't see any way to get around this, is the ranking system, where it's basically just the coaches and the AP get together and decide, we think this team's number one. The problem with that is... If that team loses a couple of games and is very clearly not that good, they don't want to change their mind. They don't want to admit that they were wrong. So they'll do everything in their power not to drop the team that they claimed was number one at the beginning of the season too far. And you'll see teams that, you know, they were ranked number 10 at the beginning of the season. Well, they'll lose one game to a good team, a team that very legitimately had every right to beat them, and they'll drop down 10 or 15 spots in the rankings, but that number one team can lose two games to teams that they really should have beaten pretty easily, and they'll only drop one or two spots. And it's just because these coaches are human, these reporters are human, nobody wants to say, wow, I was way off the mark on that. But it comes down to you're just arbitrarily naming who's going to be in the championship game at the end of the year before anybody plays a single snap of football. That takes 90% of the joy out of it for me. There's, like, Boise State, 10 or 15 years ago, I don't remember what it was. Again, I don't follow college football, but Boise State was just the, the dominant team that year. They were absolutely murdering everybody they played. But at the beginning of the season, in the AP poll and the coaches poll, they were ranked like 15th. It does not matter how many games they win, if they go undefeated and beat every team they played by 170 points, they were never going to make it into that top spot, even though they were clearly, by leaps and bounds, the best team that year. I don't like that. I do not like the fact that it's not who is actually the best team, it's who these pollsters decided was the best team. Now, I've had people argue with me about that for 30 years. I'm not buying it. You're not going to convince me. I'm sorry. That's a stupid way to do the rankings. It means that you know sometimes they're going to be right, and who they pick is the dominant team. But the years they miss it, you're just screwing the team that actually is the best because they're never going to make it into the top two or three and have a chance at the national championship. Doesn't matter if they earn it or not. They're not getting it. And I, I don't like that. It's supposed to be a meritocracy. The system as it is is not a meritocracy. It's we're going to select who's going to win way before the season even starts. And I don't understand how people can get into that. The other thing I don't like is for the teams that are in the top five. If they're playing a much poorer team, they have to just slaughter them. You know, they can get up 30 points. They've still got to go for a touchdown every time they touch the ball. Because if they don't, the again, and it's a, it comes to down to opinion instead of who actually is the better team, the people that do the rankings are going to say, well, you know, this team's terrible and they only beat them by 25 points. Why did they only beat, well, they took their foot off the gas because they didn't want to embarrass these kids, which is what they should do. You know, if you get up to the point where there's no chance the other team coming back, there's no reason for you to keep scoring touchdowns. You're just piling on at that point. But the way the system is set up, the teams have to do that. They have to absolutely humiliate teams that they are much better than. It just seems unsporting to me. And, I, you know, for all these reasons and a couple of more little piddly things, I simply cannot get into college football. Now, I grew up about 50 miles away from Blacksburg and Lane Stadium. I am kind of sort of a Virginia Tech fan because they're sort of the the home team as far as colleges go. But I'm the kind of fan that, you know, if they win, hey, that's great. If they don't, oh, well, what else is on? And, you know, a lot of time, well, about half the time, if the game's being televised, I don't watch it. Um, if I'm sitting on the couch and I'm flipping through the channels and I see Virginia Tech playing, I'll stop and watch it. But it's just something on. A lot of times I'll turn the game on on a Saturday just as background noise, you know, while I'm cleaning the kitchen or doing laundry or just piddling around the house. I don't actually sit down and watch the games. It would have taken us about an hour to get to the Virginia Tech campus to go to a football game. I had never went to a Virginia Tech football game. I think the tickets are pretty reasonable too. It's just not something I've ever wanted to invest any time or money in. But enough about college football, because tonight we are about five hours away from the kickoff of the NFL season. And as per tradition, the Super Bowl champs, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, are playing the opening Thursday night game. I don't think it's any secret that the NFL has absolutely been in love with Tom Brady for about 20 years. Now, he's certainly an above-average quarterback. Me, personally, I have never been all that impressed with Tom Brady Now, it's hard to argue with the record and the Super Bowl wins, but Tom Brady strikes me as an above average quarterback that has gotten a lot of lucky breaks through the years. Um, He's got a good arm. Does he have the cannon that Troy Aikman had or the accuracy? No. You know, he makes good decisions, but is he a brilliant game manager the way Joe Montana was? No. You know, he can move around in the pocket a little bit and uh, escape trouble is he a scrambling quarterback like a Steve Young was? No, not at all. Is he a legitimate running threat to score on any play the way Michael Vick or Randall Cunningham were? No, not at all. So he's above average in a lot of categories, but he's not really outstanding. And several of his Super Bowl wins have come thanks to dominant defenses, including this past one with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So I've never understood all this you know, Tom Brady's the GOAT. He's the the greatest of all time. Tom Brady, Tom Brady. You know, one other thing, as long as I'm blaspheming against the great Tom Brady, Tom Brady has gotten favorable calls from the refs his entire career. You know, the tuck rule that put them in the Super Bowl that first year has been analyzed six ways to Sunday, so I'm not going to go into that. But you always hear that Tom Brady, he's so good at you know, scoring a touchdown right before halftime or right at the end of the game. Well, he's also very good at drawing pass interference penalties right before halftime or at the end of the game. And if you go back and watch the replays, you know, any of those deep routes, there's going to be hand fighting. There's something that the refs could throw. But a lot of times you'll watch and they get that penalty right when they need it the most. And you watch the replay and it's like, well, that's that's the same thing that that DB has been doing the entire game. And it was nothing outrageous that he did. Why did they decide to throw the flag then? You know, they were playing Dallas a couple of years ago when Dallas was in real danger of winning that game, and the refs threw a tripping penalty on the center, the Travis Frederick, the perennial all-pro, who never commits those. And when you've even got the guys in the booth discussing, a, you know, I cannot see what in the world the refs threw that flag for, that's usually an issue. But Tom Brady has gotten a helping hand from the refs more than any QB in history. And the closing arguments for my discussion on that particular topic is simply this. I don't remember who he was playing, but there was a play where Tom Brady dropped back to pass. One of the defenders fell a couple of feet to his left, and that drew a roughing the passer penalty. The guy never came in physical contact with Tom Brady. I mean, literally the closest part of his body to Tom was two feet away. He did not touch him in any way, shape, or form. But the refs threw a flag and gave them a free 15-yard penalty. How can you get a roughing the passer penalty when you don't physically touch the passer? I have never seen any other quarterback get that. I will never see another quarterback get that type of protection from the referees. But I have come around on one topic. I, I have decided that I do agree that Tom Brady is the greatest of all time after watching last season. Now, the Bucs were very close to being legitimate Super Bowl contenders in the 2019 season. They just needed a couple of little pieces, play a little bit better, and they would have been a top-tier team in the NFL. So they were very close to getting there on their own. Adding Tom Brady, however, made all the difference in the world, and that is why I have decided that Tom Brady is really the greatest of all time. And it's not because he is such an outstanding player, it's not because he makes such fantastic decisions and never makes a mistake, it's because Tom Brady seems to have a very unique ability to get his teammates to play much better than they normally would. That is not something that you can quantify the way you can... QB rating or touchdown to interception ratios. But I have seen it team after team after team. You know, when he was winning with the Patriots, you had never heard of most of the people on those teams. But they all played like pro bowlers. For years, I just assumed that that was just the coaching style and Belichick was able to you know, just bring out the best in these players. I don't think it was Belichick. If you look at those two teams last year when they weren't together... You know, the Patriots were mediocre at best. Uh, Tampa Bay got pushed over the top by the addition of Tom Brady. I don't think that it was Belichick at this point. I think Tom Brady, either it's through just leadership or he's just that good of a motivator. I think Tom Brady can take a mediocre team and make everybody on there play their best season of of their careers. And again, that's not something that's going to go onto a stat sheet, but that is why I have finally decided to agree that Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time. Not because of his performance, but what performance he can draw out of the team itself. Which, normally for me, on a personal level, would be neither here nor there, except for the fact that the team that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will be playing tonight is my team, the Dallas Cowboys. Now, I am not expecting Dallas to win tonight. What I'm hoping for is to see a much-improved defense, and I want to see an enjoyable close game. Unfortunately, however, I don't get a great deal of enjoyment out of watching Dallas play. I'm a diehard Dallas fan, but there's not a lot of joy in watching the game. There's a lot of anxiety. Uh, There is an NFL analyst and a podcaster named Dave Damaschek. Uh, He is from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, just outside Pittsburgh, so obviously he's a huge Pittsburgh Steelers fan, and he's never made any secret that that is his team. He can appreciate all the other teams that he's covering, but his team is the Pittsburgh Steelers and always will be. And he was discussing watching the game, and he summed up my feelings about watching the Cowboys play just perfectly. He said that there's no joy in watching the game anymore. There's anger if they lose, and there's relief if they win, but I don't have fun watching the games. And that's exactly how I feel. In fact, I have found out that that's how I'm going to pass away at some point in my life. Uh, A few years ago, I'm sitting on the recliner on a Sunday, and I'm watching the Cowboys play. I don't remember who they were playing. It was not a particularly important game. They were well-positioned in the division. It was early to mid-October, so there was still plenty of football to be played if they happened to lose this game, and the team they were playing was not all that great. Dallas definitely should have won the game. I think they actually did win this particular game, but it wasn't a game that I was really, you know, like on the edge of my seat, and you know, oh god, they've got to play really great and beat this team. If they lose, they're going to be in trouble in the division. It was none of that. It should have just been, you know, go out, play decent football, come away with the win, get ready for next week. At one point that I was watching that game, I realized, and it was the score was 0-0 zero to zero at this point, both teams had had the ball a couple times, no, neither team had really done anything, and I realized that my heart was just pounding. And once I realized that, I got to thinking about it, and I said, this is how I'm going to die. I'm going to be watching the Cowboys play, and long about the middle of the second quarter, I'm just going to stroke out. And that's how my family's going to find me. I'm going to be sitting in that recliner with my eyes rolled back in my head and drool all over my Tony Romo jersey because I was foolish enough to sit down and watch the Cowboys play. And yes, I'm well aware that it is ridiculous that I care that much about a game. I can't help it. That's simply the way I am. But with all that said... Tonight is the kickoff of the NFL season. Yes, we are losing the summer and the beautiful weather and being able to get outside and do things, but there's always a silver lining, and this silver lining is simply that football is back. All right, guys, I've got one more quick little topic I want to go over with you, and we'll wrap it up and start getting ready for game day. I want you to think back to Andrew Cuomo this time last year. He was a media darling you know, he was on TV attacking Trump four days a week. He was on TV seven days a week giving COVID updates and doing press conferences that were getting nationwide coverage, even though most of the nation does not live in New York State. But he was just the darling of the Democratic Party. He actually received an Emmy for his COVID press conferences, which is unprecedented for a reason, I might add, because that is ridiculous reason to get an Emmy. Of course, the left just loves giving each other awards. He was handed a $5 million book deal. Obviously, he was the governor of New York State, which is no small potatoes. And there was actually some chatter about him making a presidential run in the next election, or maybe the one just after that down the road. But let's smash cut to today. Governor Cuomo has resigned as the governor of New York State. The love and adoration from all of the news outlets has dried up. He is in serious danger of facing both civil and criminal charges in the state of New York for sexual harassment. And as far as that vaunted book deal goes, Crown stopped promoting the book when the allegations started to pile up. I saw one report that the book had sold 71 copies in a week. That is insane. Compounding the embarrassment is, if Cuomo goes into a court of law for these allegations, there are literally hundreds of hours of this man standing in front of a podium, berating people that were accused of sexual harassment, and saying that all accusers should be believed 100%. I believe during his term as governor, he actually signed into legislation that strengthened the rights and protections of sexual harassment complainants. So he's going to be facing that. Now, there is a term I'm sure everybody has heard, uh, schadenfreude. Sometimes you hear it pronounced schadenfreude. I don't know the correct pronunciation. I grew up hearing it schadenfreude, so that's the way I say it. Basically, schadenfreude is the definition for when a person gains pleasure from seeing another person fall on hard times. I don't normally like Schadenfreude. I believe that that is one of the more primitive and very ugly facets of the human psychology. A lot of people do receive joy from seeing other people fall fall down. It's kind of the, you know, you the only thing we love to see more than the hero is a hero taken down. That kind of thing. That's Schadenfreude. I'm making an exception in Governor Cuomo's case. Um, I don't like hypocrisy. And if you are pressuring your underlings into sleeping with you on a weekly basis, you probably shouldn't be getting in front of a camera and acting holier than thou and attacking other people. But we see this a lot in politics. I've talked about it before. You've got the Republican that's all fire and brimstone against same-sex marriages, and then he gets caught in a men's room with a male prostitute. of course, there's countless examples of the hypocrisy of these politicians that really were all in on the lockdown, but then they're taking flights to visit family and go on vacation. You see it all the time. I've kind of become numb to it. It's so pervasive. But in Governor Cuomo's case, it's actually a little bit better than that. But let's factor the lockdown into Governor Cuomo's sexual harassment woes. Normally, there wouldn't be much of a connection to be made there, but Cuomo took... Emergency powers during the lockdown. Now, one of the things that happened with that is they shut the courts down because they didn't want people going into the courthouses and spreading the disease. That did a lot of things. Number number one, it got rid of people's right to a speedy trial, which should have been unconstitutional. But we know how the courts go in this time; it, they're more activists than they are lawyers at this point, and they're not going to push back on that, even though they should have. You know, that's one of your constitutionally protected rights. You can't just get charged with something and then get stuck in a jail cell for two years. The state has a responsibility to bring your case before a judge as quickly as possible. It did away with all of that. There is a little bit of a side effect to that that is very pertinent to Governor Cuomo's situation at this time. Not only did it get rid of it, and the term is the right of habeas corpus, Uh, It also pressed pause on statute of limitations, because you could not be charged or go to trial for these things. It also extended the time that you could be charged with a crime. Now, I don't know the statute of limitations off the top of my head for a lot of things, so I'm just throwing out numbers here. They're probably going to be wrong, so don't hold me accountable for this. But, you know, say like uh, if you robbed a convenience store, you can be charged with that for two years, but once the two years has passed, they can't bring charges you charges against you for that crime anymore. I think rape is one year, maybe it's five years. Again, I don't know. But several of Governor Cuomo's alleged victims would not be able to bring a criminal charge against him because of the amount of time that has passed between the incident and today, except for the fact that Governor Cuomo added basically a year and a half to their statute of limitations by shutting down the court system. So Governor Cuomo is going to face charges from women that would not have been able to charge him criminally. I'm sure they could still do a civil case. But the only reason they still have the right to do that is because Governor Cuomo went full totalitarian and shut everything down. And if you want to talk about sowing the seeds of your own destruction, Governor Cuomo is on the Mount Rushmore of that particular screw-up right now. And again, I don't care for schadenfreude. I I try to be above that particular emotion. But in this case, I'm getting a great deal of satisfaction from watching this man reap what he has sown. All right, guys, that's about all I've got for you today. We will return to our regularly scheduled programming next week. In the meantime, everybody enjoy the football game tonight. Have a good weekend. I hope everyone avoids strep throat. Apparently it's going around. My son had to have gotten it from somewhere. But enjoy your weekend. Have a good time. Enjoy the football game tonight, and I will talk to you on Monday. Thank you very much.